0: That is the sound you never want to hear. It is the sound of a warning siren going off at a nuclear power plant. But whether you can hear that sound or not, we are all in the nuclear hot seat. Welcome to Nuclear Hot Seat, the weekly news magazine keeping you up to date on all things anti-nuclear. My name is Libby Halevi. I'm the producer and host, as well as a survivor of the nuclear accident at Three Mile Island from just one mile away. So I know what it looks like when the so-called experts get it wrong. This week, we catch up on the problems at the Fort Calhoun nuclear power plant in Nebraska. Only three months after Fukushima, the Missouri River flooded above design specifications for Fort Calhoun, and then it was protected only by an eight-foot inflatable berm that at one point deflated. Floods, fires, Local political blind spots, all these have contributed to what is still a potential Nebraska-shima. Local activist Laverne Tran will fill us in on the problems and the activism taking place in our heartland. That story will be coming up in just a few minutes. Today is Tuesday, July 9, 2013, and here is the week's anti-nuclear news. Leave it to a comedian to uncover the truth about Fukushima. This Japanese comedian, Oshidori Mako, in an article with No Border Asia, reported that she spoke with both a professor and a worker from the Fukushima Daiichi nuclear power plant. In it, what was revealed was an ongoing case of incompetence by TEPCO. Not what we say from the outside as criticism, but what is known inside, hands-on, from somebody who is there. On April 11th, she conducted this interview, and the worker she spoke with said, leaks here and there are a normal thing, meaning within Fukushima Daiichi. After the accident, facilities were being built in such a speedy fashion that it did not matter if they had to last only one year or so. Some constructors had even put the sentence, quality is not guaranteed, in the contract. The worker went on after her shocked response, the government allocates funds to TEPCO for the management of the nuclear power plant accident. But the money is not a grant. It is a debt and must be refunded in the future. Thus, it is normal that TEPCO seek to reduce its debt as much as possible. That is the reason why cutting the budget, reducing the cost, and using lower price materials for constructions and facilities in the management of the nuclear power plant accident is the order of the day. There are no attempts to gather the brains of the world in order to effectively deal with the nuclear accident. The worker went on to say, It is the fiscal year-end, so hurry up and complete the construction work. That's what he said TEPCO was saying. Or, there is no more funding available. Why should the fiscal year-end take priority over any other matter in an unsettled situation of a Level 7 nuclear disaster? This is a brilliant and staggering interview, and there's much more involved with it. We will post a link on the website, nuclearhotseat.com. So with that as the background of what TEPCO is doing to game the system and cover up the ongoing dangers and difficulties at Fukushima, here's the news that is actually making its way out. As of July 8th, there were multiple reports from TEPCO saying that 2,300 becquerels per liter of tritium was found in seawater sampled just off of Fukushima on Wednesday, July 3rd. This is the highest level recorded since the March 11 accident began. The next day, TEPCO recorded 9,000 becquerels of cesium-134 and 18,000 becquerels of cesium-137 per liter of water at a well between the number no. 2 reactor building and the sea. The combination of those two radioactive substances were about 90 times, that's nine zero times, from the level that was logged only three days previously. TEPCO officials say they do not know why cesium levels have risen suddenly or what effect the spike is having on the ocean. Our friend Iori Mochizuki reported in Fukushima Diary that though TEPCO recently found groundwater and seawater severely contaminated, They only report on the density of radioactive tritium in the water. The density of strontium-90, which causes leukemia, has not been reported since the second report they ever issued. It's not only that they don't report on strontium, but they don't analyze for it. He went on to say, As far as Fukushima Diary knows, no TV or newspaper reports that TEPCO doesn't analyze the samples for strontium-90. Thank you, Iori. Fukushima Diary does, and now so does Nuclear Hot Seat. Japan's Ministry of Health, Labor and Welfare reported on July 5th that test records of 479 workers at the crippled Fukushima nuclear power plant contained false documentation on the amount of internal radiation they were exposed to. The maximum dose limit for nuclear plant workers by law is set at 100 millisieverts over a five year period. Now, nobody knows exactly how much radioactive material is still in play at Fukushima, but between the almost 200 tons of fuel present in the four reactors and the 2,800 tons of old reactor cores in the 40-foot-deep spent fuel pond, what we have at the site is the equivalent of 2,000 atomic bombs of 500 kilotons each. That's right, 2,000 Hiroshima's. Fukushima, then, is capable of dispersing into the biosphere five times more long-lived breathable radioactive poisons than all the combined nuclear detonations that have taken place on Earth to date. That's right, Fukushima can trump all the rest of the nuclear age. So in the midst of all this bad news and a real sense of the magnitude of the problems at Fukushima in Japan, what's going on in that country? Well, the LDP, the Labor Democratic Party, is just pushing its little brains out for restart, restart, restart. Four Japanese utilities have applied to the country's nuclear regulators for permission to restart 10 non-operating nuclear reactors. TEPCO initially put in a proposal to restart two of theirs, but when the protests came up, they very wisely backed away from the restart. Now, you may be wondering about the dangers of restarting these nuclear reactors in Japan in this most seismically active area on Earth that already has a Level 7 nuclear disaster going on that has not been resolved. So, I don't know how reassured you'll be, but I need to report that in the press conference on July 3rd of 2013, NRA, that's the Japanese version of the NRC, NRA Chairman Shinichi Tanaka said, I do not say the risk is zero, but we now have means to prevent a serious accident. Yeah? You got elected God or something? He went on to say, We are requesting measures so as not to cause an accident like the Fukushima 1 nuclear power plant accident, so we will be okay. Does anybody in their right mind believe these people? Politically, all the little ducks in Japan are lining up to bring nuclear back online, and they just couldn't be happier about it. The current ruling party, the pro-nuclear liberal democratic party, or LDP, is poised to win the upper house elections in Japan on July 27. They've said local government will get a say in whether or not to restart atomic power plants, but they've made no clear statement that local authorities will be able to say no to nuclear in their area. Seventy percent of the citizens of Japan want their country to be nuclear-free. But clearly, the LDP is not listening. Their policy research council chair is so keen to turn on nuclear power that she even claimed that the Fukushima nuclear disaster did not directly lead to any. Deaths, Nuclear Hot Seat has a full-program interview with Joe Mangano coming up in just a few weeks that will speak definitively to how the IAEA, the International Atomic Energy Agency, games their epidemiological studies so that it is impossible to claim that anybody died from a nuclear reactor unless one dropped on top of them. Meanwhile, back to Japan where, yes, the LDP says that they want input from the local governments surrounding nuclear power plants. But even if these governments are asked, the bozos there aren't about to be sane about it. Four mayors from three prefectures out of Japan's 47 have said that they would welcome the reactivation of nuclear power plants in their respective areas. The mayors are from the cities of Genkai, Nagashima, Kariwa, And Izumazaki, now the head of Kariwa, which hosts the TEPCOL-operated Kashiwazaki Kariwa Nuclear Power Plant, has said there's no reason why operations at a nuclear power plant should not be resumed if the regulatory authorities have decided the facility is safe. Bozo, the Nuclear Regulatory Agency, has already decided that they're safe, and they haven't even done any examinations. They're pushing for restart. They are suicidal, sociopathic, psychopathic. And here is the nuclear hot seat, Num Nuts of the week. Oh, this one's so unbelievable. The residents of Tamura City, which is 20 to 40 kilometers or 12 to 24 miles away from the Fukushima Daiichi nuclear power plant, have been told by the government of Japan, "quote We could not clean up radiation in your town. Radiation is still not low enough for you to live in. But go home anyway. We'll give you dosimeters to detect radiation on your own. Hand palm to forehead. You know, they must give an IQ test to candidates for office in Japan. And only those who flunk it are allowed to run. And truly, that is the numbnuts of the week. Activists in Japan have been doing what they can. At the traditional July 27 Tanabata, or Star Festival, mothers and their young children celebrated the traditional way outside the Prime Minister's office in Tokyo, where they offered up prayers for a nuclear-free Japan. Participants set up bamboo trees at the site of famous Friday night anti-nuclear demonstrations and hung about 20,000 strips of paper containing wishes called tanzaku on bamboo branches, all of them praying for eradication of nuclear energy. One of them read, No nuclear power for safer future for children. That about says it all. Participants appealed for citizens to raise their voices in whatever community they belong to and do whatever they can to eliminate nuclear power. One of the things taking place is a lawsuit filed by 43 people who evacuated from the Fukushima area to Hokkaido. The lawsuit is against TEPCO and the Japanese government. Testimony has been called, and in an excerpt from one, a woman named Takako Shiseido, she said, I have been receiving phone calls from people who are still living in Fukushima. What they tell me is this. In Fukushima, the recovery has been much emphasized, and there is an atmosphere such as, Fukushima is okay, and Fukushima returned to normal life. However, I hear tearful voices from all the phone calls I receive. The people there do not think that it is safe to live in Fukushima. They still buy bottled water. They still buy food from faraway places. But they cannot speak out the danger. They cannot say that they are scared. Their voices would not be heard unless we, those who can, speak out. If we left our stories unspoken, the media silence will become even more severe. That is why she joined the lawsuit, and we will have a link to this article which has other testimonies as well. In the ongoing revenge for Fukushima conducted by Mother Nature, activist rats have moved on from their beachhead at Fukushima Daiichi to sister nuclear plant Fukushima Daini. One of these rats caused a battery charger to break down in an emergency gas turbine generator vehicle. Now, TEPCO did say that they were taking up arms against this sea of rats coming at them and they showed the copious use of expanded foam they hope will prevent rats from taking down the system in the future. Foam? Stop radioactive rats? Oh, haven't those people in Japan ever watched Godzilla? There's no stopping them once they go for nuclear revenge. And now this obituary. The ex-head of Japan's Fukushima Daiichi nuclear plant, Masao Yoshida, died at a Tokyo hospital of esophageal cancer on Tuesday, July 9, 2013. Yoshida is the hero believed to have prevented the world's worst atomic accident from being even worse than it has been so far. On March 11, 2011, in the first critical hours after the earthquake and tsunami turned Fukushima Daiichi into the greatest threat to the continuation of life on Earth, Yoshida rallied his men who have since been dubbed the Fukushima 50, to fight to control the nuclear reactors. It was Yoshida's own decision to disobey TEPCO headquarters' orders to stop using seawater to cool the reactors. Instead, he continued to do so, and in so doing, saved the active zones from overheating and exploding. Had he obeyed the order, the whole of northeastern Japan would possibly have been uninhabitable for decades, if not centuries. Yoshida remained in charge of the rectification of the consequences of the disaster for more than six months, barely leaving the station. On November 28, 2011, eight months after the disaster began, Yoshida was admitted to the hospital where esophageal cancer was diagnosed. He underwent several operations, including an emergency brain surgery when intracranial bleeding was detected in late July 2012. He also suffered a non-fatal stroke. TEPCO admitted that it was Yoshida who brought the nuclear plant's workers together and kept their spirits up while battling the catastrophe. TEPCO President Naomi Hirose said in a statement, He literally put his life at risk in dealing with the accident. We keep his wishes to our heart and do utmost for the reconstruction of Fukushima, which he tried to save at all cost. So how is TEPCO honoring this brave man, this hero who saved their asses and their country, if not the world? A TEPCO spokesman cited Yoshida's doctors as saying it would take at least five years for the effects of radiation to develop into a cancer, and so, according to TEPCO, quote, We believe that the possibility of radiation having had an effect on his illness was very low. End quote. Fukushima children are getting thyroid cancer only two years after exposure to the radiation. And this man was in the thick of it from the very first moments for six solid months and almost never left the site. But his cancer is unrelated to radiation exposure. TEPCO, can you say that with a straight face? This is how you honor this man? You should be ashamed. Masao Yoshida was 58 years old. Namaste. We'll take a springboard from Japan to Vietnam because the two countries are linked when it comes to nuclear. Meetings of Japanese and Vietnamese ministers this week saw them reaffirm cooperation in nuclear energy. Yeehaw! Vietnam is considering offers from established nuclear countries as it seeks to introduce the technology. The country signed an agreement for construction of a nuclear power plant at Vinh Hai in Ninh Thuan province in October of 2010, despite the impact of the March 2011 Fukushima accident on the Japanese nuclear sector. As part of the package offer, Japan is supporting the ministry in developing a regulatory body, and providing training in radiation safety and nuclear law. Oh my God, what could possibly go wrong? First of all, Vietnam, you're going to trust Japan on anything nuclear? And, yoo Vietnam, having a nuclear reactor, which creates, as waste, high-grade, weapons-grade plutonium, the bomb in the basement of every nuclear reactor, We want Vietnam to have that technology? Hey, what could go wrong? A nuclear reactor at South Korea's Hanwool nuclear power plant stopped operating on Friday, July 5th, due to what appears to be a technical problem, plant operators said. An investigation was underway to find the exact cause of the technical problem but the state-run Korea Hydro and Nuclear Power Company said that there were no spin-speak alert, no immediate safety threats. South Korea's nuclear sector has been dogged by a series of malfunctions, forced shutdowns, and corruption scandals that have undermined public confidence. Despite increasing public concern, the government has vowed to push ahead with its nuclear power program and plans to build an additional 16 reactors. In response, I would like to quote Nuclear Hot Seat's Ray Marsalis, who posted this response on Facebook. ah ha 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 Korea. Our nuclear reactor broke. We don't know why, but we're going to build 16 swear word more. ah ha, ha 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 Thank you for your comments, Ray. Always appreciated. Good news for our side out of Spain. The 42-year-old, reeky, creaky, rust bucket Santa Maria de Garonia nuclear power plant in the north central province of Burgos is operating no longer and has been shut down. Woo-hoo! <inaudible> in Canada, Toronto has seen torrential flooding of catastrophic dimensions. Flooding throughout the city has backed up sewers and spread destruction. Zach Nocamico-Ruder, one of our correspondents, reports that the flooding and backing up of sanitation storm sewers in Toronto's West End is hazardous because there is a uranium processing facility at Lansdowne and DuPont that processes 53% of the uranium used in Canadian reactors. They put uranium up the stack and down the drain into the sewer. Uranium is a heavy metal, so it moves slowly and accumulates in the sediment. When there are extreme weather events and the contents of the sewer are under pressure, the uranium may be dislodged and go street level, contaminating gardens, parks, and people's homes to say nothing of their bodies. Zach is asking that if anyone has pictures of what is going on in and around the facility, he is asking for you to post those pictures on his Facebook site. You can find him under Zach, Z-A-C-H, No chemical Rooter R-U-I-T-E-R. Now we bring it back to the United States, where if anybody's bothering to pay attention, we've got a scandal brewing around North Anna in Virginia. In 1973, at the North Anna Power Station site, Dominion Virginia Power and Federal Nuclear Regulatory staff members covered up knowledge of geological faulting, this according to a U.S. Justice Department memo. The shifting of spent fuel casks at North Anna was first caused by an earthquake, which took place on August 23rd of 2011. No U.S. nuclear power station had been tripped offline by an earthquake before. According to the memo, written by U.S. Department of Justice Attorney Bradford F. Whitman, VEPCO, which was the name of the operating company before it changed its name to Dominion Virginia Power, VEPCO had a consistent policy of not filing any formal document That would have informed the Atomic Energy Commission's, that's the name of the agency before the Nuclear Regulatory Commission, that would have informed the Atomic Energy Commission's licensing board and the public about the fault. At the same time, virtually the entire Office of Regulation of the Nuclear Regulatory Commission was well aware of the fact and determined not to take any immediate action to stop the plant's construction or reopen the licensing hearing. Making false statements to a federal agency, is a felony. But Whitman recommended against prosecuting VEPCO for its alleged failure to disclose the fault because the government, quote, wasn't deceived. It was part of it, end quote. Great reason to not enforce the law because the government was involved in breaking it. And for those of us here in Southern California, this is a rip-snorter. California's Edison International is planning to acquire Chicago-based startup Socor Energy, which designs and installs solar rooftop panel systems for big retailers and commercial clients. Edison International filed an application with the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, asking the agency to approve the transaction by July 25th. Hey, what's the big rush, guys? Oh, that's right. San Onofre is still shut down and will be forever. So what better time to get into solar, even as you're screaming about the end of civilization as we know it because Sano is demoted from active nuclear waste generator to still dangerous nuclear waste dump. At least hire back as many of the nuclear workers you let go as you can to install the solar equipment, okay? Okay. A little bit of a setback for our friends at the Blue Ridge Environmental Defense League. The Atomic Safety and Licensing Board for the Nuclear Regulatory Commission on Friday, July 5th, rejected most of the environmental objections to extending the life of TVA's Sequoia Nuclear Power Plant for another 20 years. In May, Breedle, the Blue Ridge Environmental Defense League, along with Belfont, Efficiency and Sustainability Team and Mothers Against Tennessee River Radiation jointly challenged TVA's license renewal and raised eight objections to the license extension. The Advisory Safety and Licensing Board rejected most of the group's complaints, with the exception of concerns raised about storage of nuclear waste from the plant. NRC spokesmodel Roger Hanna said the nuclear waste complaints about Sequoia were held in abeyance until the NRC develops its waste storage plan, no later than 2018. I'm sure our friends at Breedle, specifically Lou Zeller and Beverly Kerr, will have more to say on this issue long before 2018. Recent whistleblower news from San Onofre, by way of San Clemente Green, is that Edison is in the process of releasing bulk chemicals into the ocean as a cost-saving measure. What, you buy solar and then you dump chemicals? Coincidentally, yeah, right, the decommissioning process allows for millions of pounds of toxic chemicals and radioactive waste to be discharged directly into the ocean. One employee at San Onofre stated that, in general, everything there is happening so fast right now that limits are being ignored and oversight is lax, if not completely absent. So dude, is it safe to surf San Onofre? Come on, Surfrider Foundation, take some readings, then take a stand. And we would like to welcome a new group to the anti-nuclear movement. This is in Wellfleet, Massachusetts, which is halfway up Cape Cod between the elbow and the tip. This new group, the Downed Cape Downwinders, is a grassroots organization modeled after Cape Downwinders, which was created to protect the lives and welfare of the residents of Cape Cod, Martha's Vineyard, and Nantucket against the threat from the Pilgrim Nuclear Power Plant. The organization's chief concern and major talking point is that there is no viable safe route for evacuation of Cape Coders in the event of a nuclear disaster. Yet last year the Nuclear Regulatory Commission renewed the contract of the Pilgrim plant to run for another twenty years. Even worse, the Pilgrim plant construction is a GE Mark I, the exact same design as that of the Fukushima plant, with the same potential for a similar or worse incident. Down Cape Downwinders co-founder Susan Weger said, After fighting to close Pilgrim for decades to no avail, there is a bit of light and hope in our fight. Our Senator Dan Wolf and State Representative Sarah Peake are now on record as supporting shutting Pilgrim down. Governor Deval Patrick will meet with Cape Downwinders sometime in the next couple of months to address the votes from 14 Cape Towns to close it down. Best of luck, and if you haven't already, contact the Coalition Against Nukes and get yourself in alignment. And now it's time for the week's interview. You may recall that almost exactly two years ago, Flooding on the Missouri River threatened to flood out the entire site of the Fort Calhoun Nuclear Power Facility near Omaha, Nebraska. Pictures at the time, and we will post another one on the website so that you can see this, but the pictures showed the site surrounded by an 8-foot inflatable berm that in turn was surrounded by water. Nuclear reactors as an island cooled by emergency systems only. It was devastating. It was frightening and we just barely ducked that nuclear bullet. So what has happened since that time? Laverne Traian has been following it closely. Laverne is a resident of the area, a lifelong activist, with over 30 years of research and resourcing of sustainable energy production systems and infrastructures.
1: Laverne Traian, welcome to Nuclear Hot Seat. Thank you. Now, Fort Calhoun was one of the first homegrown nuclear near misses covered by nuclear hot sea. I actually began covering the issue in episode number three, which is way back in the early days. To refresh people's memory, give us a picture of what the situation was as it unfolded in the early summer of
0: 2011.
2: Fort Calhoun was in the process of a refueling, and during that refueling process, the plant got flooded by, now, a very notorious flood. And during that flooding, as they put away the radioactive uh, rods and put everything back to bed because it couldn't finish refueling, they started to smell uh, what they called an, a rancid odor. And they smelled that smell for three days before it burst into flames, and which then locked them out of the control room And they were really darn lucky that they weren't running the plant at the time. That fire smoldered for three days before it was found, and it was only found after it uh, burst into flames, filled the control room with smoke, and then began to shut down different uh, electrical boxes at the plant.
1: Now, what was the connection between that and the rather dramatic flooding of the river, which was the picture that really went out internationally at the time?
2: Well, there was really no connection between the fire and the flood. There were two separate incidences.
1: Did that predate the flooding of the, you know what the river?
2: The fire predated the uh, river, in a sense, by 18 months. It was an 18-month-old fix on the switch that then burst into flame during the flooding. Uh, there was actually three fires on the plant during the flooding. There was fire in the control room when they were doing the pumping. there was a young kid that was pouring uh, gasoline in one of their uh, uh one of their pumps. They had gasoline pumps out there that was pumping the water while it was flooded. He was filling it up while it was running, and the gasoline burst into flames and he got burnt and We don't know what happened to him. Uh, all they said when we asked him about it about that particular fellow was um, that he had made it to his sister's wedding, so he was okay but they were not allowed to talk about him because it was his own personal details.
1: Now, all of these fires took place before the rather dramatic flooding that we saw. During during the
2: the flood. flood. All these fires were during the flood.
1: So we had fire and we had water threatening both from the inside and the outside. That is correct. You know, especially looking at the pictures, there seemed a very real threat at the time that the plant would be completely flooded, which, of course, would shut down the backup cooling system. And we started referring to it within the movement as a potential Nebraska Shima. What would have happened if the plant had been running at full power and became flooded by what was happening with the
2: river? Well, there'd be a possibility of the core overheating. Because it was shut down, the only cooling that was running was the pool, the cooling pool. And that particular system got shut down for 90 minutes. The potential is that the core would have heated up. But they were just lucky, just as as a gambling luck, that they had been shut down for refueling when that flood happened and when the fire burst out.
1: I always hate it when our nuclear safety is based on fortunate accidents.
2: And what makes me angry about the whole thing is is that, you know, we've seen a flood. That was 2011. We watched it flood. Everybody watched it. You have a 40-year-old nuclear power plant. The utility already says it's small and doesn't generate much power. And the only reason they're going to ever use it is for wholesale power, to sell wholesale power. And they even admit that the wholesale power coming from Iowa with the wind turbines is cheaper than the wholesale power that they can provide on that new plant. But yet they still pursue spending a billion dollars to restart this nuclear power plant. and it doesn't make any sense to me. According to the Omaha Public Power District Board member, Mr. Green, they were one vote away from shutting the nuclear power plant down. I believe it was last September when they had an executive meeting to discuss the financial what would be better? Should we get another like a gas plant or a, you know shut down the new plant and have all the, the pluses and minuses at an executive meeting? which I've got documentation from, and one of the main reasons is that they said they didn't have enough money to decommission at this time. So that was a big drawback in shutting it down.
1: They don't have the money to shut it down and decommission it, and that's why they want to keep it running.
2: That was one I mean, of it, the it, it,
1: it makes as much sense as most things in nuclear, too.
2: That's right. And they said it would cost more to shut it down and do all this other stuff, and so then they voted to, to keep it going, which is ridiculous. We have a, we basically have a media blackout in, in this area. Like the newspapers and the, and the the TV doesn't even show up for any, any of these NRC meetings. Uh, the World Herald does, but they're always cheerleading them on and saying that it's okay, it's great, it's safe. We won't start it until it's safe. It's safe. Even OPPD started saying we're, we're your safe energy partner. Well, they've flipped that into their advertising because it was always OPPD your energy partner. Now it's your safe energy partner.
1: I'm making the assumption that it must be a major employer in the area. And that may be the financial reason behind the media resistance to covering the story. There's seven hundred
2: jobs over there. Now, they told us in two thousand that it would cost two hundred and fifty million over thirty years to run that nuclear power plant. They have spent a billion dollars since they announced in two thousand, maybe two hundred and fifty million. Since then they've spent A billion dollars. Now, I think I could have created a lot more jobs than 700 with a billion dollars. And they haven't created any new jobs. It's the same 700 jobs that have been there since they started the plant in the 1960s.
1: And just to be clear, it's been closed down since before the flooding that was two years ago.
2: That is correct. They they shut it down for a refueling process. And that was when the flood hit, and that's when the fire hit. And when the fire hit, it became a red finding when the NRC shows up.
0: And they went around and
2: looked, and they found the plant in such disrepair that they constituted the 0350 Committee, which they hadn't used in 10 years, and it's the only nuclear power plant currently in the highest regulatory observance that the NRC has is the 0350 Committee. So OPPD can't even run the plant without the NRC looking over everybody's shoulder while they're doing whatever they're doing. And according to the NRC, this is the worst nuclear power plant in the country, hence the 0350 committee. According to the NRC, they were going to demand an immediate shutdown. The staff at the Texas District Office, District 4, had suggested immediate shutdown of this nuclear power plant. It was their bosses who said, we'll put them in a 0350 committee. Because they're currently shut down, we don't have to, quote, shut them down, and we'll give them a chance. To fix their problems and to do what they, you know, to, to to repair it and put it back online, and so there was conflicts with with the staff and their bosses at the time about shutting having immediate shutdown. So one vote away from shutting it down, the NRC staff wanted to shut it down, but we keep persisting with the management of OPPD saying no, it's okay, and the NRC going no, I think they can fix it. They're finding things like Teflon seals. There's 540 perforations in the containment building, and they were supposed to replace these seals that are around the wires and all the pipes in the 80s. They were given a memo in the mid-80s to replace those Teflon seals. Those Teflon seals not only got missed during the 80s, but they also got missed during the 20-year upgrade in 2004 to 2007. And then the NRC comes in and says, hey, you still haven't replaced these Teflon seals, And we had to spend 145 million million to do that. And they're currently replacing them as we speak. You're finding age-old problems. In 2004, OPPD was informed by the Corps of Engineers that they needed to raise their flood levels. And this was based on flooding in the river during the late 90s. OPPD got their own experts and said, no, we're fine. We don't have to do that. 2010, the NRC says, hey, you need to raise your flood levels on Fort Calhoun. Again, the OPPD experts said, no, we're fine. We don't need to do that. And in 2011, we're flooded. Now, I asked the board and the vice president of nuclear at a board meeting, which we have on video on my YouTube channel, if water had got into any buildings. We had a vice president of nuclear and two board members tell us that there was no water in any buildings. They were dry. Water got on the property, not in the buildings. No building was breached. Those are the three statements. I go to the NRC and have them on videotape, and they explain to me water in three buildings. And they go in full detail how it got through, how it penetrated in the whole business. And my point I'm trying to make with that is that we cannot get straight answers out of the OPPD organization. No matter how hard we try, we can't seem to get straight answers out of the Omaha Poly Power District about Fort Calhoun.
1: What problems have been found in the surrounding communities that could be linked back to having a nuclear power facility literally in their backyard.
2: Well, in 1992, Fort Calhoun spilled 25,000 gallons of reactor coolant water on the floor of the reactor. They didn't know what to do with it, so the NRC told them that they could trickle it back into the river, into the Missouri River. This is radioactive
1: water. This this water is is contaminated (laughs) with radionuclide.
2: That is correct. And they, quote, said they filtered it, by, but all experts say you can't remove radiation from water. So that was the first spill. The groundwater underneath the plant was tested, and it found cesium and tritium in, in the groundwater underneath the power plant. And during the flood, we had backup river residue coming up the drains on the floor, the floor drains were, were backing up with river water and residue.
1: Floor drains within the nuclear power plant.
2: That is correct. What
1: I'm trying to make a point of is this is a
2: porous plant. that water's coming in, water's going out. I mean, it's, it's it's a very porous plant. It's not a watertight plant like Jeff Hansen from OPPD told the New York Times in the spring of 2011. It's not a watertight plant. It's a very porous plant. And then we have karst formations underneath the plant. We have geologic features directly underneath the radioactive head, which... Nobody seems to even know what that geologic feature is. It's just called a geologic feature. They don't know if it's a cavern or if it's what's in there. It's sitting you know right next to the river, which is going to flood. You have multiple dam breakage problems upriver that if any one of those dams break and it and depends on what four studies you want to read, because there's four studies now about it, you're either going to be twenty five feet above what you were last time or fifty feet above where you were last time. As Meaning Allison, that would be the height of the flooding was at the height last time. And if it was 25 feet higher than last time, the whole place would be completely inundated. The backup generators would be underwater. The whole design of it is not designed to go above 2021 is what it's designed for. They got up to 2014 during the flood, so they were just a few feet away from the design basis.
1: And the plant at that point for and we'll have a picture of this on the website, but it was surrounded by an eight foot inflatable berm, like a giant inner tube around it. And I remember in the early days a when it was still being inflated, a backhoe bumped into it and it deflated completely. And it had to be patched and then reinflated. And the water came very close to overtopping that berm. So you're saying that with an upstream dam break, it would completely wipe out berm or no berm. It would wipe out all cooling systems in the plant.
2: Yes. It would be completely inundated with water, yes.
1: Hmm. Now, Laverne, you actually ran as a candidate for the board of the Omaha Public Power District back in 92, 2008, 2012. It doesn't sound like you were elected at any of those times.
2: That is correct. But what's exciting is in 92, I got 1,000 votes. In 2008, I got 25,000 votes. And then once I showed the viability and the vulnerability of the board members by getting 25,000 votes, when all I needed was about 40 to get really in the game, all of a sudden in 2012, we had nine people run for the board. And some of these people hadn't even been challenged in 25 years. And we turned three board members over. And we got rid of two managers in this process. Since the flood and since uh, Fort Calhoun has gone offline, board members got voted out and managers have been fired. The ones that said there was no water in the building, they're all gone.
1: So if you were elected to the board and you were in that place right now, what would you be doing?
2: Well, I would try to be the one vote that got it to shut down the nuclear power plant and begin decommissioning process. Uh, right now, we hired Exelon to help us restart the plan at a $400 million 20-year contract. We could change that contract to a decommissioning contract for $400 million over the next 20 years. Because actually, Exelon is one of the best decommissioning organizations there is. They've already developed decommissioning rules and regulations and, and have fast-tracked decommissioning processes. So Exelon is actually an expert on decommissioning. And that's what I'd like to do is change these these Exelon guys instead of to a restart committee to a decommissioning committee.
1: What would be the impact on the local community, do you think, if the reactors were, or I should say, when the reactors are shut down permanently?
2: Well, we'll start to save a tremendous amount of money instead of just throwing money into a black hole. I mean, it, it's like my father said, don't fall in love with your car because it'll just nickel and dime you to death. These guys have fallen in love with this nuclear power plant. These board members have been with it for 15 and 20 years. The president of OPPD, actually, his history is started with OPPD in 1972, moved to Fort Calhoun in 1974, worked all positions from 74 to 89, 89 became the assistant to the president, 90 became the vice president of nuclear, and in 2007 became the CEO of OPPD. So the top CEO is a nuclear engineer. And engineers always think in terms of, I can fix that. And being a public utility, we don't have the advantage of being a for-profit company. In California, for an example, they had announced that it was no longer profitable to run the nuclear power plant, so they decided to shut it down. Well, here with the public utility, they're a non-profit organization. All they have to do is just raise our rates, which they've done every year for the last 10 years, ever since they decided to make the 20-year extension on this license for a poor cowhound. They've raised our rates every single year for the last 10 years.
1: So if it were shut down, do you think that these yearly raises would be done away with?
2: Yes, they would be. Because currently we have no idea when the NRC is going to give us permission to restart that new plan. They can continually just make us spend more and more money on it until they're satisfied. So it's, it's very open-ended right now. If you decided to decommission it, you would have a number. You'd be like, okay, they, they already told me it would be seven hundred million dollars to decommission. They claim they have uh, three hundred million of it, and then over the next twenty years they'll gather the other four hundred million. So at the end of the license, they'll have plenty to re- decommission. Now, I've asked them personally what the decommissioning costs were. They said seven hundred million. They had filed with the NRC that it was only four hundred million. And then, two months ago, we got an NRC um, violation that, in 2012, the decommissioning cost for the cooling pool was not included. So for some reason, they decided not to include the decommissioning cost for 2012, which they were supposed to file with the NRC. So we seem to be finding this messiness in the decommissioning fund. Like either they have it or they don't. There's different numbers supplied to different people and now they're in violation for not supplying the proper numbers for the cooling pool.
1: Yeah, This sounds like one of those places where they've got two sets of books to cover you know, what they want the public to see and what's really going on.
2: What, what I find fascinating is Lynn Moore, an environmental lawyer, has asked them for an accounting of the $145 million that they've spent that they approved of last December. And she was asking, do you have a running accounting of that? And they said, yes, they did, not to the penny. And she asked if we could have a copy of that. And they told her it would cost her $5,000 to receive that, that the OPPD would take that much work for them to produce that, that they would charge her $5,000 for that information. And And it's a public um, utility. And it's a public utility, and it's supposed to be public records and blah, 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 blah. So, yeah, so there does seem to be some funniness around the decommissioning costs.
1: What is the activist community doing? How extensive is it and how involved has it
2: gotten in Fort Calhoun? The OPPD board meetings had never been videoed, and there's no exact dictation of the board meetings. They paraphrase everything. So most people don't even know that there's a board for the electric company and that you can run for it or you can participate. Uh, most people are just kind of ignorant about that. But since I started putting up the videos, We started two years ago having virtually nobody at these board meetings. Now we have up to 25 to 30 people coming in every month to give them a piece of their mind about the nuke plan, about the coal plan, about all kinds of issues all of a sudden they are coming out of the woodwork. And so it it seems to be growing because people can finally see what's going on at these board meetings. And and when you watch these board meeting videos, it is like Keystone Cops. It's it's, it's ridiculous. I mean, the things they say and do, it's, I have them on video saying that coal ash is non-toxic. I mean, it's just... Mm.
1: For the people who are listening in today, if they could help in any way with the work that you are doing there, what would be the most valuable things for them to do for you?
2: Well, I believe we have to constantly inform Omaha Public Power District that we don't want the power plant restarted. And not only do we not want it, but the islands who are downwind don't want it. I have letters from, from Chicago, Illinois, who say they're all downwind, and they don't want it. So by calling Omaha Poly Power District, they currently have a Tell Us What You Think tab on their on their website. Uh, click <laughs> on that. Click oh, on that. what
1: a tool to use.
2: Yeah, you know, but, but tell them what you think, you know. The only thing we can do is to constantly tell them what they think. Now, I would think what I would really love to have is some sort of action this summer. Like, I would love to have the Guacamole Fund sponsor a concert and, you know, have Bonnie Raitt come in or somebody or Jackson Brown and then have local musicians fill in and and have like a, you know, like a day in the park learning about Fort Calhoun, you know, while we're listening to music and having a good time. That That sounds like something
1: that you could do maybe without the headliners, but you start things small and local and they have the potential to
2: grow. And we're also currently doing research. I just want to let you know that since you've actually contacted me this week, I've set two researchers, and if anybody else wants to do this research. And what we're trying to do is we're trying to calculate what the cancer incident rates are around the plants. So I've got two different researchers going into the different databases that are available for that and trying to tabulate and correlate and and, and get some sort of nice graphic to show because every nuclear power plant has had an increase of cancer rates of the people who live around them. And we have never been able to prove that here locally, and that's something that we're just now working on and trying to go through the databases and pull that information out and make a nice graph.
1: If you haven't already, I suggest that you contact Joseph Mangano We just interviewed him for a future nuclear hot seat, and he is the epidemiologist who goes in and mines such incredible information out of the statistics. He could at least provide some guidance to your people if necessary.
2: That would be great. There's
1: nobody better in the country. He did some studies here in Southern California. He and his partner, um, Dr. Janet Sherman, did the epidemiological studies that proved that there was an increase in infant deaths after Fukushima from the radiation here, that there was a correlation with an increase in thyroid disease after the Fukushima radiation that was in the San Diego area. And they've also come up with the statistics that showed that the highest rate of thyroid cancer in the country is within fifty miles downwind and downstream on the Susquehanna River from Three Mile Island. So he would be a person to guide this study, and I'm happy to provide that connection for you too.
2: That that would be great.
1: So, if people listening want to help, is there a local anti-nuclear group that is coordinating work, or are you all just kind of a bunch of individuals who meet at the OPPD meetings?
2: Well, well, that's pretty much it. Yeah. You know, it's it, we, we, you know, the, the, there is no you know Clean Nebraska. That's been an organization that's. It doesn't have any real formulation, but it's been a it, you know it was originally created during the um, fighting of the um, nuclear waste dump up in Boyd County. That was their original back in the '90s, and that was their original creation. And it was basically a phone list. It was before YouTube and Facebook and all that. And it was basically a, just a phone list of people who want to have a clean Nebraska. And so they've done pretty good, and they've been really involved in this all the way down the line. But they don't really have a website or anything. But like you said, we are all just individuals who have been showing up who care about the subject, and I wasn't a nuclear expert before I started this, but, man, has my brain gotten smart since I started this, you know what I mean? It's like, and, and, and it's amazing because the, the board members and the people involved and the new presidents, I think they're astonished about how well I can remember things that they say. Well, we you videotape it and edit it together and sync up soundtracks and blah, blah, blah. You hear this stuff over and over and over again, and so you're like, well, I know exactly what you said, because I just watched you this morning, you know, uh, six months ago or whatever.
1: Here's my suggestion, Laverne, as we close down. I think it's really important for those of you who have been showing up regularly concerned with the nuclear issue to coordinate yourselves in some way, even if it's just a conference call once a month to see who's doing what, what needs to be done, and do it as an organization. You're stronger if you've got a name that you are under rather than just being a bunch of individuals who go there and are concerned but don't have a united front. With a simple name, even if it's just, you know, Citizens Against Fort Calhoun Nuclear Power Plant, that would be enough to at least create the image of you as more of a force than you are as individuals. And in that way, you can start coordinating and finding out what people are interested in and really start moving it forward. That's what's happened here in Southern California over the last couple of years, that the groups have worked together much more tightly, which is what led to the closing of San Onofre. And it's happening in other parts of the country, too. And if you're not a member of the Coalition Against Nukes, you need to be, and I'll get you that contact information as well.
2: I've done their Facebook. I get their threads, yeah.
1: Laverne Trahan, thank you so much for having been the guest this week on Nuclear Hot Seat.
2: Thank you for having me, and I really hope that we can not allow Fort Calhoun to restart.
0: From
1: your mouth to somebody in
0: power's ears. That was Laverne Trahan, local activist against the Fort Calhoun Nuclear Power Facility near Omaha, Nebraska. We will have a link to Laverne's YouTube channel, which has lots of information about Fort Calhoun. And it will be up on our website, nuclearhotseat.com forward slash blog. Here's the final thought. One year after the atomic bomb was dropped on Hiroshima, Albert Einstein wrote, The unleashed power of the atom has changed everything save our modes of thinking, and thus we drift towards unparalleled catastrophe. Well, not if I can stop it. This has been Nuclear Hot Seat for Tuesday, July 9, 2013. Material for this week's podcast has been compiled from ENENews.com, No Border Asia, World Network for Saving Children from Radiation, which provided that powerful translation of our first story. Gigi Press, Yori Mochizuki and Fukushima Diary, NHK World, Asahi Shimbun, Veteranstoday.com, XSKF.blogspot.ca, avaz.org, simplyinfo.org, jfissures.org, japan-times, rt.com, yonhapnews, globalpost.com, wickedlocal.com, Times Free Press, Chicago Tribune, San Clemente Green, those crackpots at the World Nuclear News, and the Nuclear Hot Seat Facebook community, with a shout-out to Zach Chemical Reuter and Ray Masalis. Our archive is available on iTunes or at nuclearhotseat.com forward slash blog. We always have add-ons and enrichment on the blog page, so check it out. I work hard. I want to be appreciated. Please! So did you learn anything from today's podcast? I sure hope so. Did it possibly make you laugh? Did it make you angry? Were you surprised? Were you struck dumb at places, at what's going on in the nuclear world? If you liked what you heard, Or even if you didn't like what you hear, but you appreciate what it is that it takes to get this to you. Nuclear Hot Seat needs your support to keep bringing you news, interviews, radiation protection tips, numbnuts of the week, the NRC Doc Report, and so much more. Before you forget, go to the homepage at nuclearhotseat.com, scroll down, and hit the Donate button. Then follow the prompts and give a little, get a little, do your part to help keep this podcast going. Nuclear Hot Seat is the activist voice on nuclear issues, so if you have a story lead, a hot tip, or a suggestion of someone to interview, send an email to info at nuclearhotseat.com. We are copyright 2013, Libby Halevi and Hardestry Communications, all rights reserved, but fair use. You got it, guys. My permission to reuse any of this material, as long as you give proper attribution, meaning my name, the website and the email address for Nuclear Hot Seat. This is Libby B. of heart of Street Communications, the heart of the art of communicating, reminding you that we've all had our nuclear wake-up call. Now, do not go back to sleep.
2: Children yearning to be free, have no fear, just follow me, cause if the world's about to blow, ain't no place left for you to go.
0: To the critical mass, all accommodation's gonna be first class. Boogie down to the critical mass, you got my word,
2: it's gonna be a gas harmonics of demonic Strike a chord to blow your mind. It's Satan orchestrating to deliver mankind. No praying now,
0: critical mass.
2: no staying now. The critical mass. There's no desire, the critical mass. we're Your hands
0: to the critical mass, the chain reaction's gonna be a blast. Boogie down to the critical mass, the prayer you're praying's gonna be your last. The rupture at the rapture separates you from your soul. No way to see eternity, and that is my goal.
2: No praying now, it's a critical mass. no staying now, there's no desire.